Before we begin, I'd like to quickly talk about my Patreon page for The Tally Room. Thank you to everyone who has donated to support this podcast and to support The Tally Room website. If you find this podcast useful and interesting, please consider chipping in. That's it for now, so let's get on with the show. Welcome to The Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowie. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the results of last weekend's Northern Territory election. My guest today is Stuart Jackson. Stuart is a senior lecturer in the Department of Government and International Relations at the University of Sydney. Hello, Stuart. Hello, Ben. The Northern Territory election was held last Saturday and it was won by Labor, but it wasn't a resounding victory. On the current numbers, it looks likely that Labor will win a majority, but not a large one, and there are numerous seats yet to be decided. Labor, led by Michael Gunner, stormed back to power in 2016 with a landslide result. The opposition country Liberal Party was reduced to just two seats. At the moment, Labor has won 11 seats, with a likely 12th seat and a leading in three others. The CLP has only locked in two seats, but are leading in five others. Two independents have been re-elected, and one Territory Alliance member is leading in her seat. The most likely outcome at the moment is 15 Labor, 7 CLP, two independents, and one Territory Alliance but there is a lot of seats yet to be decided. Stuart, do you think this is a good result for the Ghana government? I think it is, actually. Um, in one sense, you know, yes, they've lost seats to the CLP, but in another, they've actually retained government and retained government with uh, an overall majority so they don't have to rely on independence, i.e. the crossbench, uh, well, i.e. independence or crossbench, um, if uh, Robin Lambley's returned. So, yes, it is, a, it is a good result. I mean, the last result was blown out by the weirdness of the Adam Giles um, uh, chief ministership, um, the, which ended, of course, in semi-disaster for them. So, yes, for Michael Gunner, yes, it's a win. Yes, it's return to government. Um, yes, in one sense, it's also uh, a stamp of approval for his government. It does feel like a bit of a return to normality, doesn't it? Like if if we end up with 15 Labor and 7 CLP, that's a healthy opposition, but a pretty solid, solid, stable government. Yeah, that that's the kind of position that the CLP probably was hoping for. It's probably their best case scenario. One thing that the CLP would have been worried about is the Territory Alliance, but right now it doesn't look like they've done particularly well. The Territory Alliance polled 13% on the latest count. They are... Uh, look likely to hold on to one of their three incumbents and it's a particular loss that Terry Mills, the party leader, has come third in his seat of Blaine. So it does look like their threat was a bit overblown. Um, This is not the first time we've seen in recent years a party kind of trying to triangulate as centrists or centre-right pop out out of nowhere and try and run a very big statewide campaign and present themselves as a threat to the major parties. We we saw it with uh, the Nick Xenophon team, which became SA Best at the 2018 South Australian state election. That's probably the best example. Um, it does seem it's pretty hard for a party to kind of push themselves in and disrupt the major party system. It is, um, particularly in you know these these forms of electorates where you essentially are a single member electorate. It's going to tend towards the two big parties. Um, that said, uh, you know, if you actually have a look at the Territory Alliance. Um, they did moderately well. I mean, first time out, yes, it's Terry Mills. Yes, they have a sitting MP who uh, from the uh, Northern Territory Electoral Commission website is leading by nine votes. Um, But nonetheless, you know, as they say, a win is a win if you get it. 
Um, the fact remains that, yes, third parties generally tend to have a hard time winning into these seats. But uh, when you think about it, it is disruptive. It certainly does draw votes away from the CLP. It also would have drawn some votes away from the ALP as well. Even if they come back as preferences, um, it does form a disruptive element. Whether it continues into the next election, of course, is the real question, I think, for, for that um, particular party, for the Territory Alliance. We don't have a lot of polling for the Northern Territory, but it does. there is an impression that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic probably helped the Labor Party strengthen their position. Generally, governments have been more popular and the Northern Territory has escaped the um, worst effects of the pandemic. What I, what I would say... Um, is, sure, Michael Gunner himself, you know, keeps territory safe, um, looks good. I mean, the Labor Party had a small swing, you know, less than 3% swing against them on primary. Um, that's actually not a bad result at all, a small result for, for a, a sitting government. Um, Country Liberal Party didn't actually pick up much of a vote and it all went to the Territory Alliance. Then we have to rely upon... Um, the flood and flow of uh, the preferences, which is where the country Liberal Party has been able to pick up seats, which last time round they weren't able to pick up. Um, so in one sense you could argue that perhaps COVID-19, the coronavirus uh, the impact, has been lessened in the Territory. They didn't have large numbers of death. It didn't get into Indigenous communities. Um, they haven't been on lockdown. And in one sense, they're even relatively celebratory at this point in time. Uh, certainly the pictures I saw from the campaign trail show people out and about, certainly show people handing out how to vote cards as we normally expect to see in elections. Um, so there may also be a certain amount of complacency. I mean, I would love to see if we had uh, an election next week in Victoria um, as to how that would play out, given the second wave impact upon Victorians whether they would blame the Labor Party, whether they just go, oh, well, that's coronavirus, whether there'd be a big shift. You've actually reminded me just then when you mentioned preferences that one of the big changes compared to the last election is that Labor reinstated compulsory preferential voting, which was seen as something that would help them. Certainly when the Greens are a presence, it does help Labor, but the Greens don't run in that many seats and don't get that higher vote in the Northern Territory. Uh, on the other hand, you have the Territory Alliance, which primarily was a splinter from the CLP, even if it did have some Labor elements. And their preferences probably wouldn't have flowed as strongly to the CLP if uh, we were under the optional preferential system that the Giles government had introduced and has since been repealed by the current government. I think that's true. Um, the When they had, uh, certainly the last election, optional preferential, Labor Party was able to win just from having a much higher primary vote than the CLP in seats. Um, yes, it's good when you have the Greens around, that'll shore up some of your core seats that are uh, where the Greens do actually run. So they tend to run around our springs and they'll run in parts of Darwin. But, you know, at the end of the day, they've run in, what, 10 seats out of 25? They're not helping um, insofar as, you know, green voters would be expected to maybe 75 to 80% of the time, you know, go to the ALP, they're not helping in seats like Catherine, where potentially the Labor Party could have been very happy if it had some votes coming via the Greens to them. Then again, of course, it may well be seen as, you know, green votes are actually ALP votes anyway. So, 
Yes, it uh, swings and roundabouts on that one. I think it probably hurt the Labor Party um, this time. Possibly will help them next time or the time after if Territory Alliance or some other you know, centre-right formulation isn't around. You mentioned Catherine, so this is probably a good time to go into some of the seats that are in play. There is, by my count, I have nine seats that I'm still watching. Uh, there are three seats where the two-candidate preferred vote was incorrectly assumed on election night. So these are seats where the um, Electoral Commission is required to pick which two candidates they think are most likely to come in the top two, and a preliminary count is conducted between those two candidates. Sometimes they get it wrong. So in Arnhem, they got it wrong in that that is now a race between Labor and an independent, and that was an interesting one where early in the night we did not have any votes from the remote communities and the independent looked like he performed very poorly and then he came raging back. That seat, we don't have any preference counts yet, but it does look like Labor probably will win there. And then we have some preference counts just coming in this afternoon from Blaine and Fong Lim, and in both cases Labor is doing better than it would need to to win those seats. Fong Lim is not a surprise. That was held by Jeff. Well, in fact, both these seats are Territory Alliance seats where the sitting MP has come third. But Jeff Collins in Fong Lim had been elected as a Labor MP before becoming an independent and then joining the Territory Alliance. And then Blaine, where Terry Mills, the leader of the Territory Alliance, was elected last election. And Blaine's a little bit more of a surprise in that it looked like the CLP was doing a bit better there. But at the moment, at the time of recording, Labor is getting enough preferences in those seats to win, but there's still more preferences to come. I think you're probably right. Blaine is uh, in, indeed Fong Lim and indeed any of the seats where Territory Alliance has actually ended up third, where they might have otherwise expected to come second. They might have been expected to peel some votes off the ALP and the CLP, uh, and they probably have peeled some votes off the ALP, but clearly nowhere near enough in, in a seat like Blaine where they, the Territory Alliance, could come in um, first. Instead, what we're starting to see is we're seeing the ALP end up. Um, certainly they're leading by 50-odd votes at this time, keeping in mind that uh, you know, Northern Territory electorates are very small, you know, five to five and a half thousand on the roll there. So a win by 50 seats is... Uh, if you're thinking of a federal election, it's you know closer to a thousand uh, votes there to win. So there, there are you know we have to always remember these numbers while they appear very very small, uh, they are from very small electorates. Um, so I'm less surprised about some of these. Uh, the ones where uh, I'm a little surprised is, the, is how well some of the independents have done. Um, the fact that uh, in Malka we've seen. Uh, the candidate Gaia level um, has improved their vote by 14 odd percent. They've actually done very well. So I think that we'll see um, not a great deal of change in terms of the composition of parliament in terms of independence. Yeah, so, so there are those three seats. There's two others where it's not entirely clear who is in the two candidate preferred. One of those is Catherine, uh, where they are currently conducting a preference count and I've seen different opinions about whether Labor or the CLP is doing better in that preference count. Breitling looks likely to go back to the CLP after being won by Labor at the last election. On the night, it did look like an independent had a chance of making the top two, but that is looking less likely now. So 
those are the those are the kind of complicated seats where more than two candidates are kind of in the race. And as you say, Stuart, there's a bit of a trend going on where independents, minor parties are more likely to be competitive. And because of that, we are seeing not just in the NT, but in all elections around the country, more of these races where we don't actually know who's in the top two at the end of election night. And it takes a little bit longer to get the counting right to know who actually is in a chance of winning. And then we also have four seats which are pretty conventional but are close. And so in in Araluen, as you mentioned earlier, Robin Lamley, the uh, Territory Alliance MP, is currently leading by nine votes. But it looks like maybe she should do a little bit better on the remaining votes. Labor's candidate, Sid Vashist, is leading in Barclay. That was a very safe Labor seat, but there was a massive swing to the CLP upon the retirement of Jerry McCarthy, who was the sitting Labor MP. But he is ahead. Brennan in the Palmerston area, the CLP is leading there. Uh, it's a seat that Labor won at the last election, but is not a very conventional win for them. And then finally, Namajira. So Namajira was a safe Labor seat, but contracted a lot and brought in a lot more voters in the Alice Springs area. On my estimate, it was basically a tie uh, on the redistribution. And the CLP is leading by a small amount. But all four of those races are still in play, and we're going to have to wait and see how they go. Yes, I think this is the, the interesting one has always been when you have a look at uh, how um, Alice Springs itself gets divided up around every redistribution as to whether it stays, you know, 50-50, um, which way it swings. I mean, there have been times when the seats seats currently look a little bit weird and it looks like a sort of spinning top with little bits flying off it. Um, at other times, it's been quite blocky. So it's just the ge- geography of um, the way the seats are drawn. So you can, yes, lose or win bits of um, Alice Springs uh, come the redistributions, which, of course, given the, the, the numbers in each of these seats, makes a big difference in terms of the potential for it being won by one or either parties. Um, Alice, at the end of the day, remains that sort of 50-50 area. Unlike, of course, Darwin, where you actually can see blocks of areas, the northern suburbs, Nightcliff and those areas where you would expect to see Labour win. And then you have other areas where you expect to see the country Liberal Party and Catherine, which really is a return to form for Catherine. Well, one of the things we have seen is there's this series of seats that would normally be conventional CLP seats, Blaine and Brennan in the Palmerston area, Catherine um, Breitling in the Alice Springs area, uh, Namajira, which is effectively now an Alice Springs seat. These are all areas where the CLP did surprisingly poorly at the last election and lost some of them to independence or to Labor. And most of those seats are coming back, but they're not coming back resoundingly. Like they are still very marginal seats. And uh, I don't think the CLP would feel very comfortable about their hold on any of these seats now. Um, one thing I noticed when I was going through the data is There's nothing going on in the northern suburbs of Darwin. What used to once upon a time be the kind of swinging seats that would decide elections, they have barely been mentioned in this campaign. There's been very little swing in those seats. Last night, I calculated that Labor had actually gained a 0.4% swing in the northern half of Darwin. They suffered swings in the south of Darwin. They suffered um, bigger swings in the outback, mostly because of Barclay and the top end, and they did quite poorly in Alice Springs compared to the last election. They kept their vote reasonably steady in Palmerston, but the mixture of the vote has changed things. So, um, yeah, like the northern suburbs of Darwin, 
looking reasonably solid. Maybe it's just that this is not an election where Labor was on track to lose power, and if they were, those seats might come into play. But at the moment, those areas have really solidified as, as solid Labor seats. I think we also have to consider that there's uh, another factor playing out inside of Darwin, um, and that is uh, while the Greens might run three candidates or two candidates in Alice Springs, they'll run the rest of the candidates in and around Darwin. Um, and certainly I think in those northern suburbs, the Greens have, have, well, certainly the last couple of elections have done reasonably well. That's um, how they've been able to win seats on the Darwin City Council. So they've been soaking up votes from people who might have been annoyed with Labor at one election or annoyed with CLP. They actually have an option to vote green, certainly over particular issues around mining or development. They can vote green and say, no, I will put it with the party that actually opposes these things when the other two parties are uh, essentially voting for them equally uh, and might indeed uh, you know, you were voting for the lesser of two evils election to election. Now with a, a stable, you know, third party, as it were, to vote for, they can happily vote for those. They could also vote for Territory Alliance now, now that the, that party's there to be on the on the right uh, and not be CLP or Labor. But those are the suburbs, and all the suburbs of Darwin are also those seats where I would expect more often than not for the Greens to do reasonably well. Seats like Sanderson, seats like Nightcliffe. Uh, these are seats where the Greens um, have done reasonably well. One other thing I want to mention is, as expected, a very large proportion of the vote was cast as uh, pre-poll. We're still waiting for a lot of the postal votes to be counted. One of the things on my list for later this week is to go through all the booth results and calculate the totals of actually how many votes have been cast in each category. At the moment, turnout, I mean, you can't really tell about turnout at the moment because we don't have the final figures in. Uh, but the trend looks pretty similar to what you would expect. The turnout at the moment is 63.6% of the role, but we would expect that probably to get over 70, maybe even 75%, which puts it in the similar range to where it was last time. We're going to have to wait for those postal votes to come in, but it does look like COVID did have a big impact on how people voted, and uh, well, we'll have to wait and see what the trend is in these postal votes. Do they look similar to how postal votes have looked in the past? Do we see uh, how many of them actually do come back? Yes, turnout's always an interesting one when it comes to Northern Territory, uh, simply because you have a large numbers of people, of transients in some set, in one sense, but also uh, Indigenous people who may not be on the roll. Uh, you do have, as I said, the question of transients, people who are moving through election to election. And you also have people who uh, might not be able to get to uh, a polling uh, place. So, yes, postal votes will become important. And we're looking at the, the turnout for some seats. Yes, 44% all the way up to 75, um, 78%. So, you know, fairly regular when it comes to how you would expect. I would expect to see a few more votes come in yet, um, get some of the more outback seats like Arafura over 50%. Um, that will be the postals, that will be the way that people are now thinking about how to vote. That is, not what you mark on the ballot paper, but do I turn up? Do I pre-poll? Do I launch a postal? And what are my different options now? Um, this is going to be a, a thing going forward. We already saw the rise in pre-polls previously. Well, now I suspect we'll see a rise in postals to cover coronavirus or how people, how safe people feel. You would have thought in the Territory that they were feeling reasonably safe. 
and perhaps that's why we haven't had 50% doing postal votes, or for that matter, 100%, as we're likely to see in the US in some states. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room Podcast. Thank you, Stuart, for joining me. Thank you, Ben. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.